man. Let's give them a big hand and tell them they did a great job. Oh, way to go, way to go. You can be seated, church. What a great morning, man. They are so precious and so sweet. Uh, last week, we were praying through all the prayer requests that come in, and there was a, a prayer request from a second grader, and he just said, thank you, God, for Jesus, and thank you for my church and all the people who teach me about you. And I just thought, a second grader, you know, and I was like, way to go, parents, whoever you are. But, you know, that was just fantastic, and I love it. I love seeing so many kids here. We were blessed with so many children at Rolling Hills, and, and what a joy. And Christmas, you just see the joy of children, and you just, I just love it. I just love it. So what a great, great morning, great time of worship. Hey, I want to ask you, how many people have your Christmas tree up? Everybody have your Christmas tree up? Wow, you overachievers, way to go. All right, anybody, anybody put your Christmas tree up before Thanksgiving? Any? Okay, we did it, we did it. All right. you know, I hate to admit it, it's kind of a cardinal rule in our house that we don't put up the tree before Thanksgiving, but we did this year, Lisa was like, come on, you know, we've got family coming in, and, and I was like, you know, they're not going to be here for Christmas, and so we put it up, we put it up, but what happens in our house, I don't know if it's like your house or not, if you have kids or not, but, but you know, in our house, whenever the tree goes up, it's like the whole vision of the house, the whole focus of the house, everything shifts to the tree, right? It's in our living room, and so the kids now, anytime they walk into the house or anytime, it's just like, immediately they look, and it's not because of the beautiful ornaments, you know, it's not because, you know, they go, oh, remember that? That was great, you know. It, what is it? It's the gifts, right? I mean, every time they walk in, they're, they kind of walk by, they're like, you know, just seeing if anything extra appeared under the tree yet, and, and they're coming into the house, and they're like, first look, it's going over there. You know, is there a presence? And so now we have presents that appear under the tree, and those things, and they're sly about it. I mean, they really are. I mean, they're, they're just so sly, they walk over like, Oh, Daddy, look, there's a gift for you. There's a gift for you, Daddy. Oh, and right here, look, this one has my name on it. And then look, what do you think this is, Daddy? And they're like, hold it up. They're flipping it around. And they're you know, like, I don't know. You know, I don't know what that could be. And, and they're going, uh, and, and they always think the bigger the gift, the better the gift, right? You know, they haven't realized that yet that some of the best gifts come in little packages. So, so they're always like comparing, you know, which gift is bigger. But the whole focus of our house now is on this. And so until Christmas Day, that's what they're going to be focused on. And that's what they're going to be thinking about. And then Christmas Day is going to come, right? And Christmas Day, it's just magical. It's wonderful. I mean, they just can't wait. Maybe you remember that. You remember being a child and Christmas Day was coming and you would wake up and it was 4 a.m. And you're like, I can't get up yet. But, I, you know, it's, it's like, you know, my parents told me to stay in bed till 6. And, now, you know, it's, and then it's like 4.15 and it's 4.20. You're just laying there. You're just laying there. You're just ready. And then 6 o'clock on the dot, boom, you're just out the door. And you can't wait. You're running in there. And there's something about that. There's something about Christmas Day. There's something about that moment. It's just, just oh, it's is so fun and filled with joy and delight. As a parent now, you know, or maybe you're a grandparent, it's not about what you can get, is it? It's about what you can give. And you can't wait for Christmas Day because you're so excited about your kid's reaction or your nieces or your nephews or whoever. You just can't wait to be there. You want to be there when they have that moment, don't you? You want to be there when like the door opens, they run out and they see it. You just want to capture it on film. You want to, you love that moment. There is just that joy in that moment. It's Christmas. It's exciting. It's wonderful. And there's just something different about it. We're in this great series called Jesus Changes Everything. And it's so true. I mean, Jesus literally changes everything. And we started the first week talking about how Jesus changed the world. 
And, and you look back through history and, and everybody living for themselves. I mean, when Jesus was born in the world, you know, all these people were marginalized. I mean, slaves and, and women didn't have a place at the table. I mean, children, they could just be discarded. The elderly, the disabled. It, it was all about might is right. It was all about money and power. And, and yet Jesus stepped in the world and he just turned it upside down. And he said, no, all people matter. All people are important. And it's been followers of Christ ever since who've started hospitals and hospice and orphanages and have taken care of the poor and have sacrificed. He literally changed the world. He changed the world. Last week we talked about how Jesus changes our home. And so often our home is chaotic and it's crazy and it's busy. But yet Jesus comes to bring peace and Jesus comes to bring joy and Jesus comes to bring hope. And today we're looking at how Jesus changes our vision. Let me ask you, what's the vision for your life? What is the vision that you have for your life? We all have a vision for our life. But what is the vision you have for your life? And maybe it's to be married, right? Or maybe it's to be remarried. Maybe it's to live in a certain place. Or maybe it's to have a certain size house. Or maybe it's to drive a certain car. Maybe it's X number of dollars in your retirement account. And that's kind of your vision. And man, you're working toward it. And you're saving for it. You're just kind of pushing toward that. What is the vision that you have for your life? Now, I'm all about vision statements, and if you're in an organization, you work on vision statements, and I'm all about two-year plans and five-year plans and ten-year plans and all that. You know, if you don't plan, then you, you know, you're not going to get there. All, all that's right, okay. But the bigger question is this. What is God's vision for your life? Not just what is your vision for your life, but what is God's vision for your life? How, how do you get to the end of your life and you just go, yes, I've accomplished God's vision for my life? And is God's vision the same as your vision or not? You see, the fact is this. God has an incredible vision for your life. God has an awesome vision for your life. God has an awesome vision for your marriage or for your family, for your children, for your career. God has an amazing vision. And so often we just kind of run after our own vision and we're up doing all these things and we forget that God has come to change everything. And then God's plan for us and God's desire for us is so much greater than anything that we could come up with on our own. That God wants the best for us. So what's God's vision for you? And what's God's vision for me? Well, we see it at Christmas, don't we? Emmanuel, God with us. That God sent his son to redeem and restore. That we can have a relationship with God. And God has a plan that's incredible for you and for me. And I'm excited you're here today. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you up with me to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The four Gospels. They all talk about Jesus. And uh, Luke chapter 2, Matthew, are, are the ones that talk about the birth of Christ. And really, when you get here, this is the hinge of the entire Bible. I mean, it's the hinge. It's what the Bible spins on because everything in the Old Testament is leading up to the birth of the Messiah. Everything is looking forward to the Messiah coming. As you read the Old Testament, it's all preparing our hearts for the coming of Jesus. And then Jesus comes and he lives 33 sinless years. He dies on a cross for your sins, for my sins. He then ascends into heaven and everything afterwards, all of history is looking at Jesus. You know, he's the hinge. He's where everything changes, where everything turns. I mean, think about history, right? B.C. and A.D. (laughs) It all hinges on the birth of Jesus. Think about every time you write a date. You know, you're going back to the birth of Jesus. Jesus changes everything. And so Luke chapter 2 is the birth of Jesus. 
And we saw in Luke chapter 2 at the beginning, we're just walking through this one chapter in this series, that Caesar Augustus, who was the Roman emperor at the time, who thought he was a god, he issues this decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And they did that for taxation. Everybody had to go to your own town to register, and also you had to serve in the military. And so people would go there. Now, the Jews didn't have to serve in the military, but they had to pay huge taxes. Caesar doesn't care about pregnant women. Caesar doesn't care about the elderly. He doesn't care about anything except his money. And so he's like, you've got to go. You've got to travel. And so here's Mary, who's nine months pregnant. Joseph and Mary, they head down from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to Jesus. And God had told Joseph, name him Jesus, which literally means salvation, right? Because he will save his people from their sins. In this holy moment, the gift has come. And these shepherds show up and they celebrate in this just beautiful time. And then we saw last week is Joseph and Mary, after 40 days, they, they pack up and they head to Jerusalem. It's only about six miles from Bethlehem to Jerusalem. But they go for this dedication. Just as it talks about in the Old Testament that every firstborn is to be dedicated back to the Lord. And so they go there to dedicate Jesus. Now this was a family dedication. Jesus will be baptized later when he's 30 years old. He's baptized. This wasn't his baptism. Some people are baptized as infants and that's great. That's wonderful. But you know we talk about that's your parents decision. And that, that's an important time of dedication. But there's a baptism that comes later that follows your salvation experience. And Jesus was 30 when he was baptized. But here's Joseph and Mary. They're taking baby Jesus. You know he's 40 days old. And they go to the temple to dedicate him. And look what happens while they are there. It says then, verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. Now we don't know a whole lot about this guy except two words. We know he was righteous and we know he was devout. Think about that. You know, at the end of your life, it's not going to be how much money you have in your bank account. No, people don't care. At the end of your life, people don't care about how much stuff you've amassed because you can't take any of it with you anyway. But when... You get to the end of your life, you know what people are going to look back on? is your reputation. They're going to look back at your character. They're going to look back how you lived, who you were as a person. And what we know about Simeon is this, that he was righteous, he loved God, and he was devout, he was committed to God. He was righteous and devout. It says that he was waiting on the, for the consolation of Israel. Now the consolation of Israel was the Messiah. And all these years in the Old Testament was leading up to the Messiah, the Messiah, the Messiah. And so he's waiting and he's waiting. The Messiah is going to come. And it says in verse 26 that it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now, I love that because the Holy Spirit was upon him and God had said, hey, listen, you're not going to die until you see my salvation. You're not going to die. That's a pretty incredible vision, isn't it? God has a vision for my life, and I'm going to see Christ. I want to see him. And so here he is waiting all of these years. He's waiting. He's waiting. He's coming. I know. God has told me. God has told me. And there's sensitivity to the Spirit. It says in verse 27, moved by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit in us. When you accept Christ, as you give your life to Christ, as God draws you to himself and he invites you into this relationship, God places within you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit becomes your guide. He, he leads us. He comforts us. He, he's the one who prompts us. You, you know, there's times in your life where you go, I just need to reach out to this person. And I don't know why they're on my heart and my mind. You know what I'm talking about? And so you shoot them an email, you shoot them a text or something like that. And then they, they respond and they go, how did you know I was going through this? 
How did you know? How did you know? And you go, it was the Holy Spirit. I don't know what to tell you. You were just on my mind. And I haven't talked to you in a long time, but that's living by the Spirit. As we saw last week, Joseph and Mary. Why did God choose Joseph and Mary? It wasn't that they were wealthy. It wasn't that they were, you know, super educated. It wasn't that they had multiple children. This was their firstborn. He chose them because they were willing to listen to God. And Joseph would listen. And, and are you and I, are we living a life where we're hearing God and we're being obedient? Simeon was moved by the Spirit. God prompted him, go to the temple, go to the temple. He went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms. All right, now picture the scene, right? The temple is packed out. All these people there, they're worshiping. It's a big day at church. I mean, all, a lot of people, everybody's around. And, and here's Joseph and Mary. They're kind of making their way through. They've got their baby. And they're heading for this dedication time. And here comes Simeon. And Simeon's looking and the Holy Spirit says, that's him. That's him. And so Simeon rushes over and grabs the baby Jesus. Now, I don't know how all that went down. But, I, you know, I mean, if you're a parent and somebody runs over for your baby, that's always kind of an awkward time or awkward moment. You know, but, but something happened there because Joseph and Mary said, this guy is righteous and devout. And there was this, this moment of Simeon coming over. And, and, and probably Joseph and Mary realized, okay, here you go. And he took him in his arms. And it says that he praised God. He praised God. For Simeon, this was Christmas morning. For Simeon, he had been waiting all that time. He had heard about the gifts. He was praying. He was praying. And he has Christmas morning, that divine holy moment. And he praises God. And look what he says. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised. I love that. Here's the fact of the matter is this. God always fulfills his promises for you. God always fulfills his promises and maybe you're here today and there's been a promise that God's made to you and you're just holding out. You're like, God, when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? You hold on to God. And God's timing is not our timing. Our timing is, well, I want it now, you know. And God can see the big picture. God knows where we are in our life and in the process of our life. And God's saying, just wait. Just hold on. He says, you fulfilled your promise. Thank you, God. You can now dismiss your servant. And I'll notice this, in peace. In peace. See, as Simeon gets to the end of his life, he realizes, I've accomplished the vision God had for me. And my prayer for all of us, my prayer, my, just being your pastor, my prayer for all of us is that when we get to the end of our life, that, that we have this peace. Okay, I can go. I, I can depart because I accomplished what God wanted for me. I achieved the vision that God had for my life. It wasn't just me living for my own vision and I get to the end of my life and I'm, I have this angst and this remorse and this regret because I missed it. I get to the end of my life and I go, yes. There's peace. God, thank you. I was living for you. It's all worthwhile. And Simeon is at that holy moment. He says, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Now notice that. My eyes have seen your salvation. Salvation is in a person. Salvation is not in rules and following a bunch of rules and keeping all the rules. Salvation is not in religion. Salvation is not in regulations or in rituals. Salvation is in a person, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who saves. It's a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I have seen your salvation, what Jesus does for us on the cross, the salvation of Christ. He says, what you have prepared in the sight of all people. I love that. You know, remember the birth announcement? Today in the town of David, the Savior has been born for all people, all people. And you come back here, all people. Everybody matters to God. 
Everybody matters to God. And maybe sometimes you feel like you're on the outside looking in, you know, man, all these people, they know stuff and I don't know stuff. And, you know, man, they got all these things down about the Bible and I don't know. No, 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 no. All people matter to God. You matter to God. And God sent his son for you. Personal relationship. Hey, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people, Israel. Now, that was huge because, you know, most of the Jews thought it was just for them. They went back and they read the Old Testament. They thought the prophecies were just for them. But throughout the Old Testament, the prophecies were saying for the Gentiles, for the Gentiles too, for all people, all people. Well, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. I have a feeling Joseph and Mary are like, whoa, what's happening here? You know, this guy with our child. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. And to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Well, what's Simeon saying? You see, with Jesus, you've got to make a decision. He causes the falling and the rising of many. But you have to make a decision. Either you're for Christ or against Christ. There's really no middle ground. What do you believe about Jesus? What do you believe? And he says he reveals the heart. It's not just what we say on the outside, but what do we believe on the inside? Jesus said in the book of Revelation, I wish that you were hot or cold. You know, just make up your mind. Go one way or the other. But, but since you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth. I mean, there's a, there's a relationship with God where you're saying, I want you to be all in. I want you to follow me. I want you to fall in love with me. I want you to know me. And then Simeon says to Mary, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. What, is it, what does he mean by that? Well, I believe this. I, I believe that God just gave him insight through the power of the Holy Spirit and, and Mary would stand there one day as Jesus was crucified on the cross and any mom here could tell you wow, how in the world that sword piercing her spirit piercing her heart watching her child what she loves but knowing that God has a plan and knowing that God has a purpose and when Jesus is resurrected that reunion and that just beauty Simeon, man, he was so excited about what God was doing in his life. Oh, and then look, there's another person. There was also a prophetess. I love that word, prophetess. There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. And so there's this other lady there at the temple that day of the tribe of Asher. If you remember back in our King series, we talked about the 10 lost tribes. Asher was one of those tribes, but we still see Asher even in the New Testament. Asher literally means happy. (laughs) I love that. It's great. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. So here's Anna, right? Back then, girls would get married 13, 14, 15 years old. And she lived with her husband seven years. And then he died. And she's a widow for over 60 years. Over 60 years, a widow. Now, back then, if you were a woman and and really you didn't have a husband or you didn't have a father or you didn't have a son, you didn't have a man to look out for you and protect you, you were in serious trouble. I mean, it was tough. It was hard. And, And women were just not treated well at all. I mean, they were discarded. And here's Anna going through this, this, this bitterness, this difficulty of losing her husband. And whenever the tragedies come in our life, and they do, they are hard times that we face in our life. But whenever tragedy comes or difficulties come, we have a decision to make. Do we turn our back on God and do we run away from God? Or do we turn toward God? 
Do, do we run away from God when the hard times come and say, God, why? You know, it's okay to ask God why, but do we get angry at God and say, forget you, God, and I'm going to do my own thing? Or in those times, do we turn to God and do we find our worth and our value in God? Do we uh, say, God, just hold me. I need help. Anna, she could have turned bitter, but what did she do? She turned toward God. And there was a depth and a richness in her life. And here she is in the temple. And every day in the temple, what does it say? It says that she would worship and pray. She was there, right? And she never left the temple, but worshiped and fasting and praying. I mean, she was just a godly woman. She was pouring in, I believe, to younger women. She was there. And coming up to them at that very moment, look at that, that very moment, there's a holy moment. There's a holy moment right there. That very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. I mean, picture the scene. There's Joseph and Mary, and here's Simeon, and he's holding Jesus. And then here comes Anna, and there's this just, oh, Christmas. Christ, is he here? Jesus is here. Jesus changes everything and the joy that erupted right there God's heartbeat for you and for me is this is that we can experience him Jesus said I have come that you might have life and have it to the full and I just look at our life and say am I living my life for God or am I living my life for me am I finding my worth my value in God am I experiencing the joy of Christmas in my life every day and not just on December 25th but every day am I seeing God and falling in love with him so how can we live our lives for the vision of God well number one I want you to notice this is the vision God has for you will always focus on Jesus the vision God has for you will always focus on Jesus and so as you think about your life and you think about kind of your life plan and you think about the vision that you have where's Jesus in that equation because Jesus didn't come just to make a few minor alterations in your life Jesus came to change everything and Jesus came that he would be the center of attention that we would always every day look and focus on him and we would walk in and say man my life is about Christ it's not just that you accept Christ, but I accepted Christ when I was eight years old, and then kind of went on my way, and I said, Dead Jesus, I'll see you when I get to heaven. No, 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 no. Every day that we're living our lives for him, God's vision for you, go to Romans chapter 8, is this, that you and I are conformed to the image of Christ. So does our life look more and more like Jesus? Does our life look more and more like Christ? Not that we're perfect. We all have a long way to go. Not that we're there yet, but are we growing? Are we maturing? Is our life looking more and more like Christ? Second thing about God's vision for us is this. God's vision for you will be about grace and not performance. It'll be about grace. You know, God chose you. Just like God chose Joseph and Mary. God chose you. I, I don't know. That, that thought just blows me away. Right? It blows me away that, that the God of the universe, the sovereignty of God would choose you and choose me. For a relationship with him, it's not about what we do or don't do. It's about what he's done. And when you and I begin to understand that, we start to live in grace. You see, everything in our world points us to performance, right? And so we bring that performance into our relationship with God. And we become about performance. Maybe we accept Christ through grace, but then we immediately revert back to performance. What can I do to earn God's favor? And if something doesn't go right in my life, then God's mad at me and God's angry with me and I'm messed up. And, and so we have this up and down cycle in our lives and God's going, no, 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 no. You live in the grace. You live in the grace of Christmas. That Christ has come. 
But so many times we revert back to performance. What do I do? What do I do? I, I read an article the other day about Serena Williams. Um, you know, Serena Williams, the tennis player. She's like one of the best tennis players of all time. And she was playing in a tournament in October. And it was the WTA and it was like the you know, Women's Tennis Association, the big one, the, the best tennis player in the world. And, and, and so here she is. And, and it was like a round robin match. And, and like the third match from the end, she just gets beat bad. I mean, like the worst beating of her career. I mean, she lost like 0-1. I mean, and she said, I went back to my hotel and I was devastated. And there's still two matches to go. She could have a chance to redeem herself. But, but she said, I just, I, she goes, I, went, I was depressed. I laid in the bed and I was thinking, I'm worthless. I can't play this game. I can't even compete. I'm not good enough. And I'm thinking, you're like the best tennis player in the world, okay? You know? I mean, it, it, to the irony to me. But how often do we do that? You know, how often does something go wrong in our life and, and, and all of a sudden the doubt sets in? You know what I'm talking about? And we just wonder, am I really worth anything? Does it really matter? Does my life really matter? Does anybody really care? And here she was going through this time, and she said her coach came in and just looked her in the eye and said, Serena, you're the best tennis player in the world. Everybody's going to have a bad day. You're going to get off track. But listen, you're good at this. You go out there. You play your best. You don't give up. You don't quit. And she went out. She won the next two matches and ended up being the champion of the whole tournament. But, but the fact is this. I think how often does performance come back for us in our relationship with God? And we measure our worth and our value. Man, I, I did great or I didn't do great. And God loves me or he doesn't love me. No, 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 no. God always loves you. And God's vision for you is that you live in that grace. That you've been redeemed. That you've been restored. That you are a work in progress. And God's not finished with any of us yet. Number three is this. God's vision for you will call you to faithfulness. God's vision for you will call you to faithfulness. Anna, faithful to God. Right? I mean, this hard time in her life, this difficulty in her life, but she stayed faithful. God's vision for you is that at the end of your life, that you are living for him. That you're living for him. That you're walking with him. Now, faithfulness is not a big term in our society, right? It's 15 minutes of fame. We're all about the bling. We're all about, you know, the touchdown. We're all about the what's in it for me. What's, what are you doing for me lately? What are you doing for me now? But God's call is faithfulness. God's call is the journey of holding on to him every day through the good times and the tough times. We live in a fallen world. We do. I mean, sin abounds. There's times we're going to make mistakes. There's times that people are going to do things to us. But God's never going to give up on us. And we walk with him day in and day out. We hold on to him. And one day we're going to get to the end of our lives. And you know what we all long to hear as believers, as followers of Jesus? We all long to hear when we die and we pass over, we hear God say this, well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You did it. You hung in there. You stayed with me because I've accomplished my work through you. It wasn't about what you do. It's about what I do through you for my glory, God says. You hold on to God and you stay faithful. You see, as you and I start living this vision, as you and I focus on Christ, as you and I live in grace, as you and I stay faithful, you know what happens? Peace. <laughs> peace begins to, to dwell in us. The peace of God, which passes all understanding. Peace. That's the way God wants us to live. Simeon said, now I can die in peace. Because I've lived out the vision that God has for me. Do you have peace in your life? Do you have peace in your marriage? In your family? It, it comes in Christ. It comes in Christ. 
So how do we know if we're living for our vision or we're living for God's vision? How, how do we know if we're living for our own vision or we're living for God's vision? I think there's four keys. Number one is this. Am I moving from an attitude of what I can get to an attitude of what I can give? Am I moving from an attitude of what I can get to an attitude of what I can give? Right? We're all a work in progress. We're not there yet. But in our lives, you remember when you were a kid, it was all about what I can get, what I can get. And then you grew up. Spiritually, it was always about what I can get, what I can get. And we want to continue to get. But at some point, it starts to move our attitude of how can I give? How can I be generous? How can I see needs? How can I meet those needs? And God moves in us. So are you moving as you look at your life? Are you moving from this attitude of what I can get? To what I can give. Second thing in your life, are you moving from an attitude of fear to an attitude of faith? Not that you're there yet, but are you moving? Are you growing? Are we becoming? You know, when something happens in our life, when a hard time or difficulty faces us, do we go, oh, that's it. I'm never going to get out of this. This is it. It's over. I'm terrible. Sometimes we have that reaction, but as we mature, as we grow deeper in our faith, do we begin to say, God, you're with me. God, you're for me. God, I'm growing in my faith. God, you're going to accomplish something here. God, you're going to do something here. Are we moving from fear to faith? Here's number three is this. Are you moving from an attitude of lust to an attitude of love? An attitude of lust to an attitude of love. Lust means this. I have to have it now. I have to have it now. And obviously we think about it in the physical relationship sense, but it also can be materialism. I've got to have this. I've got to have this. And we go into more and more debt, more and more debt, because I've got to have it now. I've got to have it now. And lust is all about what you can do for me. But love is, what can I do for you? And are you moving in your life more toward love? Unconditional, sacrificial love. I'm going to love you the way God loves me. I'm going to love you And I'm going to allow grace to enter into our relationship just the way I've received grace from God. I'm going to offer that. And then number four is this. Are you moving from an attitude of me to an attitude of he? In your life, are you starting to say, God, how can I bring glory to you? How can I bring glory to you? Yeah, I'm still driven. Yes, I still want to accomplish things. Yes, I still want to do things. But but God, in the midst of all of that, how can I bring glory to you? God, what can I do for your name? God, what can you do through me so that you receive the glory? If you look at those markers, then you say, am I maturing in my faith? Am I becoming more a man or a woman who's pursuing God's vision in my life? See, what happens is as you and I open our our eyes to God's vision for us, we begin to see things differently, right? Because Jesus changes everything. The first thing is we start to see the fingerprints of God. As we allow the Holy Spirit to live in us and through us, and as we live for God's vision, we see the fingerprints of God. And we we look at our marriage and we say, you know what, God's at work here. God's doing something here. And it's not perfect and we still have a ways to go, but, but I see God working. I see God working with my children. I see God working in my company. I see God working in my neighborhood. I start to see that. Even in the brokenness, even in the difficulties, even in the challenges, we start to say, God's at work. Something's here. And so often we miss it, right? Because we get caught up in the trappings. We get caught up in the the tree and the ornaments and the decorations and the outside lights. And yet we go, wait a minute, it's about Jesus. Uh, There's Jesus. He's alive. He's working. He's moving. 
The second thing I think we open our eyes to and we see is this. You begin to see the world and people differently. You begin to see the world and people differently. Have you ever noticed how often we, we look at people and we make this assessment about them because we compare ourselves all the time? And we compare themselves you know, with what they drive or what they wear or how successful they are. And, and, and our first thought so often is, is a comparison thought or a competition thought. And yet when Jesus comes in, we start to live for the vision God has for us. We don't look at people just as competition. We look at people and we say, God loves you and God redeemed you. And God has a plan for you. And God has a purpose for you. How can I help you? And you start to pray for people and encourage people. And you start to celebrate when good things happen in people's lives. Instead of being, oh man, why, why them and not me? Because you realize all that God's done for you. And so you want to help them. I heard a guy speak the other, uh, last week or so, and he was from Washington, D.C., and he was in. He was a keynote speaker at this event, and, and they were reading out all of his titles, right? And all these accomplishments that he's done and, and all these things that have happened. And, and he, he comes to the podium, and he steps up, and he's a believer. He's a follower of Jesus. And the guy says, you know what? I, I've received a lot of titles in my life, and I've done a lot of things, but what I've realized as I've gotten older, is the greatest title you can be given is this title, servant. Servant. I thought, whoa, wow. There's maturity there, you know. There's some spiritual depth there. This guy is realizing something more in life. He's living for God's vision. And the third part of this is this, is that you start to see the joy of the gift of Christmas. Every day you start to see the joy, just like Simeon. There he is. There's Christ, and there's a joy that erupts in you. There's a joy as you wake up and say, okay, God, what are you going to do today? God, what are you going to accomplish for your name and for your glory today? God, thank you that I get to be a part of your story today. There's joy. There's joy. Just like Christmas, that holy moment, there's a joy that God is for you and God is with you. I'll never forget when we moved into this building. So five years ago, we opened up this building. It was just a a God thing, you know, that God would give us uh, this place. And so many people gave generously and sacrificially. And God provided tenants for us who helped pay for the mortgage. I mean, just, you know, things only God can do. But the first Sunday in this room, we put a big black board up here as a piece of plywood. And we painted it black and we had it standing here. And we had a bucket of white paint. And so we asked about eight or ten people to come up on stage and and just to paint one word that would describe your relationship with God. One word that describes your relationship with God. And and so people came up and one person, you know, they they wrote, you know, Father. And somebody else wrote, you know, Redeemed. And and somebody else wrote Savior. And and these words were up here. Sari Zell. Sarah Zell, who's one of my heroes, Sarah is 42 years old and went home to be with Jesus uh, just a few months ago. And Sarah is at our church from the very beginning. And she suffered all of her life from brittle bone disease. Now, I can't tell you how many times she had a broken bone in her, in her body. And she spent her life in a wheelchair. But she went to Vanderbilt and she graduated summa cum laude. She got her master's at Vanderbilt. She worked for Vanderbilt Children's Hospital. And then she taught preschoolers ever since we began as a church. And Sarah Zell, on the first Sunday here, she had done that at the movie theater, but the first Sunday here, she rolled from back there on her wheelchair. She rolled onto the stage. There's a ramp behind here. And she came out. And, and Jason Crockwell was up here, and he, and he held this bucket of paint for her, and she dipped her brush in, 
And I was wondering, you know, what's she going to write? What words would she write about God and her relationship with the Lord? And she painted three letters. J-O-Y. Joy. And then she put a smiley face in the middle of the O. (laughs) And I just thought, you know what? Joy is a choice. (laughs) It's a choice we make. Every day, do we see the grace of God in our life? Do we understand what God's done for us? Do we understand that it's Christmas? It's our joy. It's our joy. You see, God has a great vision for you. And God wants to do things in your life that you can't even dream or even imagine. God's plans are incredible. And he just says, hold on to me, hold on to me, hold on to me. And so we lock arms and we go forward together. We lock arms and we serve together. We lock arms for the glory of God in our day, in our time, in our generation. And we serve, right? And whether it's at the wrapping station or or whether it's at the Path Project or whether it's inviting somebody on Christmas Eve or whether it's like a team in two weeks is going to Moldova through JMI and going to, to share Christmas with orphan children. And to say, you matter to God, and we've received the gift of Christ in our lives, and we want to give the gift. And when we start living for the vision, wow, everything changes. And that's why I believe it says in the book of Hebrews, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. (laughs) That Jesus becomes the focus. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Now, what was the joy of Jesus that he would endure the cross? What was the joy said before him? It was you. It was you. It was you. It was you. You see, Jesus looked down through the quarters of time and knew that a price had to be paid for our sins. And Jesus said, I'll pay it. He did. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that we will not grow weary and lose heart. And God's vision for you and God's vision for me is that we will run so hard that one day we will wake up in the arms of a Savior who will look at us and say, well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You did it. You lived for my name. You lived the vision that I had for you. Way to go. Now enter into your rest and the peace that comes in Christ. I want to invite you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. I don't know where you are today. I don't. But I know this. God is here. And God loves you. And that's what Christmas is all about. And God loves you so much that he said, I don't want to spend eternity without you. I'm sending my son. And Jesus died on a cross for your sins, for my sins. Maybe today is the day of salvation as God draws you to himself. And you say yes. Maybe today is a day to say, God, I've been living for my own vision. But today, God, I want to live for yours. Jesus, change everything. I've been holding on so tightly to my own dreams. But God, today I give it to you. Maybe today you pray just for your family, your friends, the people around you. Today I choose joy. I choose Christ. 
So, Father, here we are, your disciples today. And, Father, we admit that, especially this time of year, we get caught up in all the trappings, all the things that are going on, and sometimes we miss you. But today, I pray, Father, that you would fix our eyes on Jesus. (laughs) That our vision would be about Christ and Christ alone. That you would fill us with your Holy Spirit and give us the joy and the peace that we all so desire. Thank you for Christmas, Emmanuel, God with us, and how everything has changed. Father, thank you for your presence, and that you love us, and you'll never give up on us. And God, we dedicate our lives to you, and it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen, amen, amen.